Hey, I'm glad to be here today. How about you? Are you glad to be here? Come on. Yes, amen. Glad to be in the Lord's house. Uh, Kavanaugh Church, your church for life. Well, today, I just want to talk to you about one word that is found in the Bible. In fact, this past week, I have been utterly consumed by this one word. In fact, I, I've been amazed by this one word, and it is the word amazed, all right? So say that word with me out loud, one, two, three, amazed. Don't you just love to be amazed? Uh, I, I've been searching all week long. I've watched hundreds of videos of amazing feats and people doing amazing things, wanting to give you just a little clip of something that is amazing. But you know what? I have gotten used to seeing so many amazing things that I, I just really couldn't find anything that stood out to me. That's sad, isn't it? All right. So I, I was just hoping and praying that yesterday something would happen that would be truly amazing that I could talk about. And it almost happened. Texas almost came back. They almost came back and, and beat Oklahoma. That would have been amazing. But it didn't happen. All right. It, it didn't happen. So I lost that illustration. Then I thought, you know, maybe, just maybe, maybe there is a slim possibility that Arkansas could just... Uh-uh, that didn't happen either. So uh, both of those illustrations just went to the wayside. <laughs> I mean, I guess I shouldn't be amazed by that, right? Uh, so, so here is something that's even better. Uh, Debbie, I'm going to have you have your mom and dad, Jack and Catherine Binge. Would, would you have your mom and dad stand up right now? Jack and Catherine, would you stand up right here in our church? Jack and Catherine, yesterday they celebrated 69 years of wedded bliss. That, hey. That is amazing, isn't it? That's great. Wow. Amazing. So there's my illustration of something amazing. That, that is absolutely amazing. The word amazed occurs 31 times just in the gospel. And it usually describes people's response to Jesus Christ. People were amazed by Jesus. You know what? I think today we should still be amazed by Jesus Christ. In fact, we've incorporated that into many of the songs we sing. I remember singing an old hymn that said, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene. Or what about this one? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Or one that we sing in this service, amazing love, how can it be that you, my king, should die for me? Or what about, Lord, I'm amazed by you. How you love me. Well, that was true of the actual observers of Jesus Christ in first century Israel. It, it, it's almost funny to me to try to imagine the crowds in Jesus' day. Every single thing that he said had them slack-jawed and rubbing their eyes. That's Arkansas talk. Don't y'all get that? I mean, they were absolutely amazed by Jesus Christ. The crowds, the multitudes were constantly amazed by him. One of the things that they were amazed at was the teaching of Jesus. His teaching, his preaching, his speaking. And in fact, after his very first sermon, did you get that? After his very first sermon... I want you to hear what the people said about him. His first sermon occurred in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. Very first time Jesus preached. 
And at the end of chapter 7 of Matthew's gospel, it says, When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. So the crowds were utterly amazed not only at the content of the teaching that Jesus gave them, which was excellent, but also his delivery. They had never heard anything like it. Woo! Man, that's pretty awesome. Now, imagine that kind of response from a person's first sermon. (laughs) You don't normally get that. Most of us who preach are amazed to even get through our first sermon. Much less have people amazed by the content of that sermon. I remember reading about Dr. E. Stanley Jones, the great Methodist missionary. He was called to be a missionary when he was only eight years of age. And it all happened one day when he stood and viewed this life-size portrait of a huge tiger and a little boy from India. And the caption below the picture said, Who will tell me about Jesus? And E. Stanley Jones, an eight-year-old boy, said out loud, I will. And on that day, he was called to be a missionary. However, his calling and his ministry almost became derailed a few years later when he preached his first sermon. Now he's a teenage boy. Uh, The pastor asked him to preach on a Sunday night. He said the little church was packed to capacity. Family and relatives and friends were there. All had come anxious to hear the young preacher. All anxious for him to do well. He said he had prepared for three weeks to preach his first sermon. And he was ready. He was going to be God's lawyer and argue God's case before the people. So he went to the pulpit and he said the first six sentences were awesome. Things were going great. I started on a high note. And then he said, I said a word that I had never said before or since because I made it up. (laughs) And I'll do a little time out here. When I first started preaching, I made up words too. I mean, sometimes you kind of get to a point where you're trying to communicate. And let me say, it is hard to speak looking at people like I'm, no, (laughs) no. Sometimes you just lose your train of thought by what you see out there, okay? And used to, I would make up words, but I tried to make them sound intelligent enough that the people thought, well, that's a cool word. (laughs) My wife always knew when I was making words up, though. Stanley Jones, a teenage boy, made this word up. It came out of his mouth, and he said, there was a college-age girl sitting on the first row, and when I said that word, she giggled. And put her head between her hands. He said, it upset me so much that when I came back to the thread of my discourse, it was gone. My mind was absolutely blank, he said. I stood there clutching for something to say, but I couldn't think of anything to say. And so finally I blurted out, I am very sorry, but I have forgotten my sermon." And with that, he turned to go and sit down. But as he was about to sit down, he said this inner voice spoke to him. And the inner voice said, haven't I done anything good for you? Why don't you tell the people about that? 
And so he said, I responded to that inner voice. He said, I refused to stand behind the pulpit because I did not feel I belonged behind the pulpit. So I stepped in front of the pulpit and I said, friends, it is clear to see that I can't preach, but you know what God has done for my life. He's changed me. And even though I will not be able to preach, I will always be a witness for him. And he shared his testimony. He said at the close of that service, another teenage boy came down to him, shook his hand and said, Jones, I want what you got. And Jones says, well, <laughs> what's that? He said, I don't know what it is, but whatever you got, I want it. And Jones said, I, it is a mystery to me both now and then how God could take something so little on my part and do something so great in someone else's life. He said, I knelt down with that young man and we prayed and God transformed his life. He eventually became a preacher and his own daughter became a missionary to Africa. Wow. Church, I'm telling you, it's only a miracle of God that anyone could be helped by our first sermon. <laughs> and maybe only those of you who have preached the first sermon know what I'm talking about, but some of you have heard first sermons. <laughs> You know what I speak of. I remember very distinctly my first sermon. I was 12 years old. God had saved me when I was 6, called me to preach when I was 10. And at age 12, I preached my first sermon at the Westside Free Will Baptist Church in Midland, Texas. We were without a pastor at the time. And so on that Sunday evening, my uncle Bill Johnson, who was the head deacon, was in charge of the sermon or the service. And he had asked me in advance if I would preach a message that evening, to which I said, I sure will. And so for four weeks, I had prepared for this message. My parents tried to get me to preach the message to them beforehand, but I refused to do so. I said, no, you can wait and hear it on Sunday night. And I remember at 12 years of age, walking up onto the platform of the Westside Free Will Baptist Church in Midland, Texas. They had taken a wooden crate and placed it behind the pulpit that I could step up onto because had it not been for that crate, you couldn't have seen my head. And I carried with me two books. I just, I love doing that right there. And I think, I think y'all really love it as much as I do. But I carried two books. One was my King James Version Bible. The other was the Matthew Henry Commentary in one volume. <laughs> it's a huge red book. I don't know why I had it up there. I wanted the people to think at least I was smart and had read that book, which I hadn't read. <laughs> But I had it up there with me. The, the sermon wasn't long. It maybe lasted eight minutes. The best thing I can say about that sermon is they didn't record it, <laughs> which is a blessing. But church, here's what I want you to see. The carpenter of Nazareth leaves his woodworking shop. He takes off his apron and he hangs his hammer on the wall. He makes a trek down to the lakeside. And the first utterance out of his mouth is the greatest sermon the world has ever heard. And the people were absolutely amazed at what Jesus said. A little later on we read in Matthew chapter 13... A similar occurrence after Jesus' message on the parable of the kingdom. In fact, can I read that passage to you? 
I'd like for you to say yes, I'm going to anyway, but, but let me read it to you. It's found in Matthew chapter 13, beginning in verse 53. When Jesus had finished these parables, he moved on from there. Coming to his hometown, he began teaching the people in their synagogue. And they were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers, they asked. Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Aren't all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all of these things? They were amazed. Later on in Matthew chapter 22, even our Lord's critics were amazed at his teachings. Matthew 22 verse 15. Then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in the words that he spoke. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Can I take a little pause right here and give you some back history on this? The Pharisees and the Herodians were two religious sects in Jesus' day. They didn't like each other. In fact, they hated each other. They despised one another. But their hatred for Jesus was greater than their hatred for each other. So in their common hatred towards Jesus, they came together to try to trick Jesus. Teacher, they said, we know you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by men because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, You hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. And they brought to him a denarius. And he asked them the question, Whose portrait is on this coin and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, Give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. When they heard this, they were amazed. So they left Jesus and they went their own way. Guys, let me tell you, I've only given you three examples. The Bible is full of examples. I could go to the Gospels of Mark, Luke, and John and find reference after reference to these various groups of people who were amazed at our Lord's teaching ministry. Now, through the years, I have had the privilege of hearing some of the finest English-speaking preachers in the world. I have traveled mile after mile to hear some of the world's greatest preachers and teachers and speakers. I've listened to them on tape. I've watched them on television. I've sat in auditoriums and listened to them preach live. I have been impressed. I have been blessed. I have been enriched. And sometimes, quite frankly, I've been a little disappointed. <laughs> but that's beside the fact, huh? But I don't think, no, no, let me take that back. I know that I have never, ever been caught up in the kind of mind-boggling, jaw-dropping, eye-rubbing amazement that these people had when they heard Jesus, the Son of God, teach the Word of God. I, can, I would have loved to have sat at his feet and listen to Jesus preach. I would have loved to do that. And yet, 
I'm here to tell you that every single day I do have that opportunity to sit at the feet of Jesus and listen to him teach. I do that as I read his words in the gospel and as the Holy Spirit of God acts as an amplifier into my heart. <laughs> wow. He teaches us as one having authority. He teaches us the words of life. He tells us how heaven wants us to live. He sets before us the ways of life and death, of the narrow path and the broad road. He speaks with one who has authority and not as the scribes. And we can stand amazed every single day at the life-changing power of the teaching ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is amazing. That is awesome. Let's give Jesus a hand for his teaching ministry. His teaching, can I tell you something? His teaching is still changing lives today. And so the crowds were amazed at his teaching. But not only that, they were amazed at his miracles. I want to go back and read to you a story that is found in Matthew's gospel, chapter 9. Listen to this. Matthew chapter 9, beginning in verse 27. As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him and asked, and he asked them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? Do you believe I can heal you? Yes, Lord, they replied. Then he touched their eyes and said, According to your faith, let it be done to you. And their sight was restored. Jesus warned them sternly, see that no one knows about this. But they went out and they spread the news about him all over that region. I think that's a pretty cool little side note, don't you? Let me tell you, if a miracle like that happened to you, you'd go tell somebody about it, wouldn't you? If you've been saved, a greater miracle has happened. Why aren't we telling people about it? Wow. Verse 32 while they were going out, a man who was demon-possessed. Can demons actually possess a person? You better believe they can. Here's living proof of it. A demon-possessed man who could not talk was brought to Jesus. And when the demon was driven out, the man who had been mute spoke. The crowd was amazed and said, Nothing like this has ever been seen in all of Israel. They were amazed. Let me go on. Matthew chapter 15, verse 29. Jesus left there and went along the Sea of Galilee. Then he went up on a mountainside and he sat down. Great crowds came to him, bringing, listen who they brought, the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and, Je and laid them at Jesus' feet. And Jesus healed them. The people were amazed. When they saw the mute speaking, the cripple made well, the lame walking, and the blind seeing. And they praised the God of Israel. They saw the miracle power of Jesus and they praised God because of it. The word for amazed in the original Greek literally means to stand outside of oneself. We have an expression that describes that. He was beside himself. Or she was beside herself. And it has the idea of jumping out of your skin. You see something that is so amazing 
and so astonishing that you are beside yourself. And that's what these people were. They were beside themselves when they saw the power of Jesus Christ. And after all, church, if Jesus of Nazareth is God in flesh appearing, wouldn't we expect him to be amazing? Wouldn't we expect him to do amazing things? Wouldn't we expect things to change when Jesus shows up? Wouldn't we expect the power of Jesus to come alive in this place and in a person's life when his word is preached and his Holy Spirit is working? Wouldn't we expect great things to happen? Well then, if that's true, let me tell you, it's a sad thing that we have so easily lost the wonder of it all. And, and let me just be frank with you and tell you what I'm talking about. Isn't it sad that a group of people whose lives have been transformed by the amazing grace of Jesus Christ can come into a public worship service like this and sit down in our pews looking as good as we look, smelling as sweet as we smell, having the smile on our face, and just sit there when we come in the door and say, okay, if you're good enough to bless me, just come on and bless me. And we just sit there. And we say, praise team, I hope you're as good as the big church praise teams on TV. And I hope you can do something for me. So bring it on. And preacher, I hope you have a better sermon this week than you had last week. Because we expect you to hit a home run every time you get up. So what have you got for me today, preacher? And you come in here and you sit down and you say, Okay, God, show me something. Give me something. Bless me, God. Give me more today than you gave me last week. And then we're a little bit disappointed when we walk out of here and we didn't get nothing. Well, can I tell you the reason you didn't get nothing is because you came in here with the wrong attitude. Can I tell you something, folks? This is not for us. It's not about us. This is about God. And when we come in this place, it shouldn't be, God, what can you give me today? It's, Lord, what can I present to you today? How can I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene today? Lord, let me worship you and let me praise you. You are God Almighty. We are in your presence in your house with your Holy Spirit. So, Lord, let me bow down and worship you today. And can I tell you something? When we have the right attitude about our worship and our amazement is on him, the end result of that is we do get something. He does come and he does manifest himself and he does take our problems and solve them. He does take our lives and give us comfort. He does take our lives and transform them. That's what God does. He has the power to do it. <laughs> but only when our attitude is right. So I'm going to have to stop right here. And I'm going to have to say, Lord Jesus, would you please forgive me? Because sometimes... I will admit that out of a rut and routine, I lose the wonder of it all. God, help me. I want to stand amazed in the presence of the miracle worker 
and the mighty teacher, Jesus. But I'd like to shift gears. Let me go from fourth to fifth <laughs> and share with you two occasions in the gospel in which the tables were turned. And it was not the crowds who were amazed. It was Jesus himself who was amazed. And after all, you would expect it to take a whole lot to amaze the omniscient one, wouldn't you? So it's amazing to me that on two occasions, Jesus himself was actually amazed. The first time that we read about it is in Luke's gospel, chapter 7. It's a lengthy passage, 10 verses, but I'm going to read it to you so you get the whole thing. Luke chapter 7, verse 1. When Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. There a centurion servant, whom his master valued highly, was ill and was about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, This man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and he has even built a synagogue in our city. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you in the first place. But Lord Jesus, just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and I tell that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at the man. And turning to the crowd following him, Jesus said, I tell you the truth. I have not found such great faith in all of Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house, and they found that the servant was well. What an amazing story in and of itself. Let me give you a little background here. A centurion was a Roman army officer, and that's what this man was. He was a Roman army officer who had men under his authority. Israel at the time was under foreign occupation. The Romans had invaded and defeated the nation of Israel, and the Israelites hated the Romans. The Romans hated the Israelites. But this man was an exception. He was looked upon in Capernaum as a good man. And out of his own pocket, he had even built the Jews a synagogue to worship in. He was also a man of compassion because he had pity on one of his servants who had contracted a deadly illness. And so he sent word to Jesus, would you please come to my house and heal this man? And so Jesus responded. He was on his way. But while Jesus was walking to the man's house, this man sent another delegation of his servants to Jesus and said, Jesus, our, our master doesn't even want you to come to his house because he doesn't feel worthy to have you under his roof. But here's what he says, Lord. He says that he gets this thing. Okay, now get this. He understands this. He says to you, Lord, I am a man of authority. I have soldiers underneath me, and I will give the order, go, and it, the person goes, or come, and the person comes, or I will tell one of my servants, do this, and my servant 
does this. He says, I get this thing about power. And I see in you, Jesus, that you have the power to do all things. And I know that all you have to do is speak the word. And you can heal long distance. <laughs> and Jesus, Jesus, Jesus was beside himself. Jesus was amazed. So much so that he turned and he said to those who were with him, I have never seen such faith in all of Israel. This man gets it. There was another time that Jesus was amazed, though. It's found in Mark chapter 6. It's, it's an account that we've already read from Matthew's gospel, but, but Mark gives us greater detail. Let, let me read this one to you. I'm almost finished reading all these passages, but you need to hear this one. Mark chapter 6, verse 1. Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. So where's Jesus? He went to his hometown. It's like me going back to Midland, Texas, my hometown. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked? What's this wisdom that's been given him? What are these remarkable miracles that he is performing? Isn't this that carpenter boy? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? But here it is. And so they took offense to him. Jesus said to them, and again, he's talking to people he's known all his life. He said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own hometown, among his relatives, and in his own home. He could not, Jesus could not do any miracles there except lay hands on a few people who were ill, Ill and heal them. Here it is, verse 6. Jesus was amazed at their lack of faith. Now, guys, I don't preach any sermons that are any more simple than this sermon. It's a real simple sermon. And here's the lesson found in both of these passages. What is it that astonishes Jesus? What is it that amazes Jesus? What is it that makes him come outside himself and take notice? It's faith. Our faith amazes Jesus. It is a, our faith that astonishes Jesus. Either, either it's presence or it's absence. In one instance, Jesus found faith where he did not expect to find it. In the other, he didn't find faith where he expected it to be. And you know what? Both cases amazed Jesus. Let me let you in on something. Jesus is not impressed like we are impressed. Jesus is not impressed with status or wealth or power or popularity or abilities. Here is what Jesus is amazed with, though. Jesus is amazed when we trust him as we should. Let me say that again. Jesus is amazed when we trust him as we should. And Jesus is equally amazed when we don't, I say it again so you get it, Jesus is wonderfully amazed when we trust him. Jesus is equally amazed when we don't. 
And so it comes down to this. Here you are today. You're sitting right here at Kavanaugh Church, 2825 Grinnell, 1124 a.m. Comes down to this. How is Jesus going to be amazed by you today? I hope it's in a good way. I hope that we gather up all the stuff that we're dealing with and just bring it down here and deposit it at the altar and trust him lock, stock, and barrel with everything we got. If that happens, I think he'll turn around to the angels in heaven and say, wow, isn't that amazing? I'm amazed by that faith. I'm amazed by their declaration of faith today. But please, my friend, don't walk out of this building today with Jesus being amazed at your lack of faith. Because you know who loses then? You do. And a lot of other people as well. Years ago, I heard Adrian Rogers preach. I was actually driving my pickup truck, and he was on the radio. The late Adrian Rogers. Man, he was a good preacher. I'm telling you. Golden voice. I mean, it just, man, he just captured you with his voice. He had great content as well. But here's what I remember Dr. Rogers saying at the end of his sermon. Ask and believe, you will receive. Ask and doubt, you will do without. So what's it going to be for you today?